Morning. Good to be with you. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City Church. Um, man, I get the privilege to uh, open God's Word uh, with us again this morning. And uh, so we have been going through the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us uh, any of the past, well, ever since we started, that's because we're, we've just been doing that, right? We like to keep it simple here. We just focus, right? Um, if you were with us last week, we talked about how we kind of hit a turning point in the book of Ephesians, right? Chapters uh, 1 through 3 is about the indicatives of the gospel. It's about who God is and who we are because of him, right? And it's, uh, Paul is just laying out the truths about who Jesus is and all that he's done and what that means for a or who we now are in it, right? It's an identity change, right? We talked about um, what it looks like for us to be uh, adopted as God's kids into his family and given uh, the mission of being his ambassadors as the church. And, and so we talked about the indicatives of the gospel, right? Who we are because of Jesus, his life and death on our behalf, right? And so chapters four through six, the second half of the book, uh, moves uh, instead of from the indicatives of the gospel, begins to talk about the imperatives of the gospel, right? And the imperatives are how should we live differently because those things are true of us, right? So if chapters one through three is here's who God is and here's what's true about him and therefore what's true about you because of him, then chapters four through six, the second half is then this is what our lives should look like if that's true. If chapters one through three are true, then our lives should look different. And chapters four through six helps to lay out what, what would it look like? What should our lives look like? How should they look different because of those truths, right? And so we took that detour last week, and we didn't really get into many of the verses of chapter four, but we just talked about and reminding ourselves about kind of rooting ourselves in the truths about the gospel, right? And we said it's really important that we understand the order of the indicatives and the imperatives, right? Because if you flip those things, right, if you flip the what we're supposed to do and the who we are, right, if you flip those things, what ends up happening is you, chiefly you just get religiosity, right? And religiosity, it, the way I would describe it, is just, it's basically the belief that by your actions, by your behavior, by your performance, you earn right standing with God. And so God is more pleased with you if you go to church a lot, or if you pray a lot, or if you give a lot, or if you do all the right things, or live all the right way, right? And there's just like, that's, that's nowhere in the Bible, right? There's none of that. That's, that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible, especially if you've been with us any of the past few weeks, it, it's just super abundantly clear. You are enemies of God, and God decided to love you and adopt you as his kids, it's not something you earned or merited or deserved. It was a gift that was incredibly graciously given to you. And so we live not in trying to earn that status or standing, but because we already have it, right? And so when we flip the imperatives and the indicatives, we get this religiosity. And it robs us of joy because the things we're supposed to do, the, the way our lives are supposed to live, instead of being a joyful response to the God that has saved us, they just become duty and obligation, right? You've all met like a lot of religious people. They're just like curmudgeon right? <laughs> like they just are like, well, you just got to do the right things and keep on the right track and be the right things and do all this stuff. And there's just like this never-ending list of like the things they're supposed to be doing and the behaviors that they're supposed to be happening. And they can't really explain why they're doing any of the things that they're doing. They just are doing it, right? And I think the last thing that happens too when we flip those things is that it cripples our ability to actually 
live different kinds of lives, right? Because we're trying to do it on our own effort and because of duty and obligation and guilt, right? And rather what the gospel would have us to do is live joyful lives empowered by Jesus himself, right? Empowered by the spirit of God that we would actually have any power to live differently, right? Because God said the different life I'm asking you to live, you you can't just want that enough. You can't just try hard enough. You can't just do it on your own. You don't, you don't have it within you. So I'll give you my spirit, and I'll empower you with what, with what you need so that you would be able to obey. Like, man, that's such good news, right? Like, we didn't deserve our standing as God's beloved children, yet he fr- freely gave it to us. And he said, live in light of that calling. Live in light of that gift. Not to earn it, but because you have been given it. And he said, you know what, I'll, I'll empower you with my spirit so you would have any hope of, of actually doing it. And so it's all about him. I think it's really easy for us to move on past that stuff, though, right? It's really easy for us to like, get to the second half of the book and just be like, okay, I got to work on this, and I got to be more this, and I got to try to do this better. And oh yeah, my life doesn't really look like that, so I'm just going to like, I really need to focus on doing these things and getting better. Right? It's easy for us to forget that the, the commands that are coming in the coming chapters, right, that they are, they are intended to come out of a joyful response, right? They're not duty. They're not obligation. It's because of Jesus, because of who he is and all that he's done for you, live differently. Be empowered to live differently. So we can never, ever, ever, we cannot forget the first half of the book. Otherwise, it'll have been worth nothing, Right? So let's pray as we uh, dive into kind of the second half of chapter four and see how God's word would uh, seek to teach and uh, encourage and build us up this morning. God, thanks so much for your word. Thanks most of all for you. God, we are so incredibly, man, God, I'm just so thankful for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you came that we might be restored to right relationship with you. Thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. Thank you for adopting us as your kids. Thanks for loving us. God, and thank you for giving us an incredible calling to be your ambassadors to the world. God, that's just like such a great gift. God, we want to, we just ask that you would empower us to live in light of that. God, we need your help. We can't do it on our own. Help us to honor you and live for you. Pray these things in your good name. Amen. Well, let's uh, read our section in chapter 4 this morning, and uh, we'll go from there. Did I throw those verses in? Oh, good. I did. Awesome. This is uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I, a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. We talked about that last week that you've received. So be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I think it was, oh yeah, good. But, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earth and the earthly regions? For he was descended in the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. Last week we looked at verse 1, and Hannah, you can just kind of follow along with me in the passages there. Last week we were looked at verse 1 and talked about a life worthy of the calling, right? And we said our lives should actually look different because we follow Jesus. Um, but we could never live up to or earn the calling we have as his fathers or as his followers. We could never be worthy of the calling that we have. We, we can't measure up. Rather, we talked about how the focus is not on the, our worth, but it is on the worth of the calling that we have, right? And we said, because we have received, received such an incredible honor, such an incredible privilege, we should live in accordance with that, right? We're not trying to live up to our calling, right? We're living in light of our calling. Do you see how that's different, right? One is like a trying to earn and merit what we know we shouldn't have deserved or received, and the other is graciously enjoying what we have been given and living in light of it, right? There's a freedom that comes from there. See, that, this is at the root of seeing the imperatives in light of the indicatives, right? We have been called as sons and daughters of God. We've been given the mission to be ambassadors, sent to reveal God to the world. We don't deserve that. We haven't earned it. It is an incredibly gracious gift from a God who loves us. So we receive it joyfully, right? And so we live boldly in light of it, and it's out of gratitude and thankfulness that we live differently, right? We show how much we understand what we've been given, right? We show how much we understand the magnitude of the grace that God has given us when we live lives that honor the Lord, right? When we live lives in line with his calling, we, we show that we understand the magnitude of all that he's done for us. So we worship with our lives and not just our words. Our lives need to honor the God that we serve and represent, and we are representing him, and he is worthy of the best representation possible, right? Paul made clear, though, right, in the previous chapters that following Jesus can't be done on your own, right? It takes a people, a community of God to do that, right? And he described that as the church. The church isn't a place, it's, it's a people, the people that God has redeemed and he's renewed and he restored and he's reconciled back to himself and back to one another. But like, let's just be honest with each other. Like living worthy of that calling, that's really hard. <laughs> right? that, that's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to like obey God's word. It's hard to follow his word. Like it is difficult. It's not easy to do. It's hard to live like Jesus. I think uh, we'll kind of start at the back half of our passage this morning and see if that can't make sense of some of the front half, right? Verse 11, passage says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, verse 12, to equip the body for works of service so that the whole body of Christ, the church, would be built up built up into attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, built up so that we would look like Jesus. You see, I think verse 11 and 12, they're super, super important for us as we seek to make sense of the rest of it, right? You see, everyone has 
God, the passage in verse 6 talks about how grace has been given to all of us, right? And it's a gift that has been given to all of us. And all of us have been given a gift that we might serve in being a part of, uh, serve in a role within the body of Christ, a role within that community that we might all build it up together, right? But it says in, in verse 11 that God specifically gives some people as gifts to the whole church, right? And the people that are listed here, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and, and shepherds and pastors, right? They're given as a gift by God to the church for what purpose, right? It doesn't say like for the doing of all the ministry themselves <laughs> so that everyone else wouldn't have to do anything and they could just kind of go on living their life. No, it doesn't say that. It says that God gave those people for the equipping of everyone for the works of ministry, right? See, God gives leaders as a gift to the church for the purpose of equipping the whole body for ministry in order that everyone would grow up spiritually to look like Jesus. I'll say that again. God gives leaders as a gift to the church for the purpose of equipping everyone, for the purpose of equipping all people, right? in order that everyone would grow up into spiritual maturity to look like Jesus. Those gifts mentioned in, in verse 12, uh, apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher, right? those are all gifts of leadership, of, of equipping, of empowering of others, right? An apostle, right? We're talking little a apostle, not like capital A, the apostles, right? Just track with me. An apostle, right, is not a replacement of one of the original 12, right? But the Greek word that's used there is, it means to send, right? And people who are apostles, they're always thinking about the extending and the expanding of God's kingdom, right? They're the ones that are the starters of new things. They're the ones that continue to push the church in the outward direction of the mission, right? Apostles help to continue to motivate and push and equip the church in the outward direction of the mission, right? It's a, a, the ones who are calling to, to continue to go out into the world, and they're reminding us of the sending reality and of the mission of the gospel, right? And so apostles are ones, are leaders who help to push the church out towards the mission. Prophets, again, we're talking little p, prophet, right? Not like capital P, like word of the Lord, thus says the Lord kind of prophet, right? Little p, prophet, right? A prophet was a, a mouthpiece or a, a spokesman for God. He would, God would speak to the prophet and then the prophet would speak to the people and tell them what God said. So then I think a prophet in our day is not just one who hears like a voice from the Lord, like a ho, 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 ho kind of thing, right? No, but a prophet is one who who studies God's word and has insight into God's word given by God himself, right? Not like some special crazy wacky revelation or something, but just like one who helps to see God's word and helps to teach us and remind us what God's word says. A prophet is one who is always calling us back to the word of God and to what God's word says. And they're also calling us forward into obedience into God's word, right? I think one of the best examples of like a leader who's a prophet, I think, is like David Platt. I don't know if many of you guys have heard of him, but like David Platt is just like, well, the Bible just says like, do this. So let's just go ahead and do that then, right? It just says we need to live this way, so let's just go ahead and do it. 
Let's obey God's word. Let's do it. Let's live in light of it, right? Prophets are oftentimes like those kind of leaders that like might be like uh, a little bit uh, rough around the edges, I think, sometimes. <laughs> a little less refined in some ways. They're just kind of the ones that are like, it just says it right there. Let's just go ahead. Let's just do that then, right? And a, a prophet leader is one who is continuing to call the church back to the word of God and call us back to the truth about who God is and what he's done and, and who he's called us to be as his people, right? Evangelist, then, is one, if, if an apostle is one who is calling the church to go out, then evangelist is calling those outside the church to come in, right? It's a inviting, it's a, it's a, it's a heralding, it's an invitation to Jesus. The evangelists are the ones who are calling those outside the church in to follow Jesus, calling people in to Jesus. And again, just, just to be clear, I think sometimes we think about like evangelists as like Billy Graham and like some like a stadium with like a bajillions of people or some massive event in which like there's an evangelist. Or let's also be like the weird people on TV. They also somehow get the title of evangelist, which I don't really understand. Anyways. An evangelist is one who is, is heralding the good news about Jesus, right? And is one who is, is like constantly inviting others to see that and to experience that and to be a part of what's going on there, right? I think a lot of times uh, evangelists are super great inviters. They're people who are just like really good at helping to invite others into that community and into seeing and following and, 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 and seeing Jesus for themselves. Evangelists are heralds of the good news about Jesus, reminding all of us to come to Jesus. And then it says there are pastors, or another word that you could use is shepherds, right? It's not a job description. Like every week when I stand up here, I say, hey, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City Church, right? It doesn't just... It's not saying, and pastors does not mean paid ministry person, right? Pastors is talking about a role with one as a pastor or a shepherd, one who helps to care for and one who helps to seek the, the good of, of those who are in the body. A, a pastor or a shepherd is a leader who is really concerned with the heart. And they're the ones that like really ask the hard questions about what's going on in your heart, and they're always asking the why are you doing that kind of questions, right? And they're seeking to not just like help you know something that's true, but they're seeking to help you understand something that's true at like a heart kind of level. A pastor or a shepherd is one who cares for and one who comes alongside of, one who helps to uh, like those, those deep kind of heart connections. They're always caring about the motives behind our actions and they're wanting to help us come and grow into the heart of Jesus. Lastly, it lists here teachers. This is not like an exhaustive list or something, but I thought it was helpful to just outline some of these. If prophets are the ones who just hear from God and help and, and call us to, to respond to it, teachers are like the ones that help with the how, right? Teachers are the ones who, um, who are ones who help us love God's word and help us cherish God's word and to cherish him and then to help us to figure out what it looks like to live differently because of it. If prophets are the ones that just say, this is what it says, do it, and teachers are the ones that help us to like on a heart level understand that and figure out what it looks like for us to live in response to it. See, the purpose of all of these leaders is not to do ministry themselves, although they are a part of that, 
The purpose of all of these roles of leadership is to equip everyone for the role of ministry that God has invited all of us to play in the church. You see, we, the goal is that we would grow up to look like Jesus. The fullness, we grow into the maturity, into the fullness of him. That's the, that's the goal, right? My goal isn't that you guys would like grow up so that you look like me spiritually. That would be terrible, right? I've got a whole lot of flaws and holes right in me. I want you guys to grow up into, <laughs> that was my wife laughing, she sees those holes and flaws, right? The goal is that we would look like Jesus as a body, right? Not that you would look like me or that you'd look like Aaron or Hannah or Dustin or anyone else, right? But that we would look together like Jesus. And it says we need all of us. If, if we're going to look like Jesus as a church, if we're going to look like Jesus as followers of him, like, that, like I can't do that for you. It takes all of us serving in the ways that God has empowered and gifted us, and it takes leaders who see their role not as doing ministry for you, but as equipping all of us to be a part of doing it so that when all of us work together, we grow up into maturity and to looking like Jesus. You see, Jesus is the perfect picture of all of those things, right? Jesus is the apostle of our faith. He's the one, the beginner of it, right? He's the one who founded. He's the apostle of our faith. Jesus is the prophet, the one sent by God. Scripture says that Jesus is the very word of God. And Jesus is the evangelist for he is the good news about God. He is the good news of God. And he's the pastor, the shepherd who came to lay down his life for the sheep. It says in Scripture that he is the chief shepherd under which all other shepherds are under allegiance to. And Jesus is the best teacher, the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate rabbi to which all other teachings are to submit. For Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. The goal is that we'd look like Jesus. And we can't do that with just one person trying to make it happen. So how do leaders then build us up to look like Jesus? How do, how do leaders help equip the body so that everyone is growing and everyone is doing it? Well, it seems like the passage, and this is where we're going to kind of loop around to the front, and it seems like there's at least two ways that the passage highlights about what the role of leaders looks like in order to do that. And I think it talks about, in verse 13 here, I think I forgot to put that on the slides. It says, that we would grow up into the fullness and maturity of Christ, and that leaders would call us to unity in the faith and to the knowledge of Jesus. See, leaders grow up the body by pointing us towards Jesus. Leaders grow up the body by pointing us towards Jesus. You see, it's the apostles that point us to the missionary work of Jesus and call the church to live in light of that. And it's the prophets who point us to the words of Jesus and call us to internalize that and live in light of it. It's the evangelist who points us to the good news about who Jesus is and all that he's done. It's the shepherd who points us to the heart of Jesus. It's the teacher who points us to the life of Jesus so that we might live in line with it, right? And so the role of all those leaders is not just to like be a good pastor or be a good teacher or be a good shepherd or be a good evangelist or be a good whatever, but it's to point all of us in every way back to Jesus, the one who is the picture of all of those things. And so some leaders are gifted in all different kinds of ways and have given all different kinds of roles and purpose, right? But the purpose really is the same. It's to point us all towards Jesus. I think the passage shows two ways that that looks like. I think leaders help to grow us all up as they point us towards the character of Jesus and towards the knowledge of who he is.
In verse 2, if you circle back around, it says, live lives worthy of the calling, right? Verse 2, so be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. These things are not just behaviors. They're attitudes, right? Humility. Humility was despised in the ancient world, right? Paul is writing this letter to a church in the ancient kind of Greco-Roman world. Greeks never, ever, ever used the word humility in a positive way. Humility was only ever talked about in Greek language as like a, in a condescending tone. Humility was not a, a, an attitude that was lauded or praised. It was one that was despised. See, humility is not just an outward appearance. The word Paul uses to describe humility is humility of mind. See, true humility comes from the recognition of the worth and value of others. It's not about yourself. Humility is about understanding rightly the value of others. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way, consider others as more valuable than yourselves. It says you have this mindset because of one thing. You have that mindset because of Jesus. It says, Jesus who considered himself nothing and emptied himself and submitted himself even to the point of death on a cross. And if there isn't a, like a, a more dramatic picture of one who valued others more than himself, like there isn't a better picture of that than Jesus. See, for the body to be built up to look like Jesus, humility is essential. It's the opposite of pride. Pride always brings division, but humility brings unity. Gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Another word for gentleness is meekness. So meekness or gentleness is not a synonym for being weak. Right? It's really important to see that. Gentleness is not about being weak. Rather, on the contrary, gentleness is it's a gentleness of the strong, whose power or strength is under control. See, gentleness is the quality of someone who is strong, yet has a mastery over their own actions and motives. Gentleness is then not someone who asserts their strength over others, but who lays down their strength for the good of others. You see the difference there? I think a lot of times we think that gentleness is just like, well, you don't really have any strength, so you just kind of got to wait on the sides. But scripture says that gentleness is really the exercising of those who have great power, but who lay it down for the good of others. I watch a lot of random YouTube videos. I just think it's highly entertaining, right? And there's this one channel I subscribed to recently called The Lion Whisperer, right? And it's this guy, I don't know, like it's just a crazy thing, but he just kind of like walks around and hangs out with lions, right? And they'll like jump on him and like play with him. And it's just like the most crazy, like you watch the video, like he's going to die. And then he doesn't. And they just like slap him on the head and they're like, hey, we like you, right? I think about that when I think about the picture of gentleness, right? I think about this massive lion with huge claws and massive teeth and great power who doesn't use it, right? Because they could just swipe this guy in one swipe and he'd be gone, Rather, the lion is exercising gentleness. It's a power that's under control, right? It's a different kind of picture because at any point the lion has the power, he has the authority to, to like just finish this dude, but he doesn't. It's a laying aside of that power, of that authority, right? 
Don't take the example too far. It's a lion, right? But just see the picture. See, humility and gentleness, they're like a tag team. They're like this really powerful combination of things, right? Because uh, one commentator says, the gentle or, or humble, or the gentle man thinks as little of his personal power as the humble man thinks of his own merits. See, these things are found perfectly together in the person and work of Jesus who described himself in Matthew as one who was gentle and humble in heart. It's Jesus who we imitate. Furthermore, it says that we should, um, that we should continue to be patient and bear with one another in love. We're working really hard at teaching Emma about patience these days. Anyone who's a parent has understood that battle, right? Oftentimes we're like, you know, it's like every 38 milliseconds, the same request is like being heralded. Like, I want a cookie, I want a cookie, I want a cookie, I want a cookie. Okay, I heard you the first time. Simmer yourself down, child, right? Emma thinks that patience is just waiting for something that you want to have. As a parent, I understand that patience is not just waiting for something. Patience is long-suffering with someone who is trying to learn how to wait, right? Patience that the passage talks about, right, is not just speaking about waiting nicely for a treat, but the patience that the passage is talking about, the word that's used is describing a long-suffering towards aggravating people. Anyone who's a parent is like, that's my kids. I totally understand that sometimes, right? Right? So you love them desperately, but man, it's frustrating. It can be frustrating sometimes. The patience, again, is a long-suffering towards aggravating people. Man, I was just like reading a commentary this week, and it just said, <laughs> the, guy, the guy said, patience, he just said, patience is long-suffering towards aggravating people, comma, such as God was patient with us in Christ. So we're like, like reading that and just being like, ah, yeah, <laughs> right? It's easy for me to forget how patient God has been with me. It's easy to forget how long-suffering God has been with my incredible boneheadedness. It's easy to forget how much grace has been extended to me. It's when I remember all of God's incredible patience towards me that I'm able to give patience with others, Right? It comes out of an experience of, of God, like understanding how God is related to me. And that's how I long to relate to others. That's how I want to relate to my kids. That's how I want to relate to my wife and my family and, and this church as I seek to help to build all of us up towards unity in Christ. Lastly, it says that we build all these things up together with love. Love is the final quality. It embraces all of those things. Colossians 3 uh, talks about love this way. It says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. You see, since that's its root, love is about, the constru- is about seeking the welfare of others and the good of a community. Again, it's a laying aside of our own rights and privileges and honors that we would lay those aside for the good of others. It is not just like a Aesop's fable kind of moral to the story. I need you to see that. The Bible isn't just saying like, good people are humble. Good people are moral. Good people are gentle. Good people are patient. That's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying that people who have experienced 
the humble, gentle, patient love of King Jesus become humble and gentle and patient and love as he did. It's not just like something we're supposed to do. It's something that should be true of who we are because of Jesus. That's different. And so we want to be people who are humble and gentle, who are patient, who are long-suffering, who love greatly, not because we're supposed to, but because we've experienced that in and through Jesus. And so we live differently because of who he is and all that he's done. Verse 3 says this, make every effort then to pursue that kind of unity. Make every effort. See, unity is really important and it doesn't happen by accident. It requires the active and intentional living out of those attitudes and characters of, of Jesus that we talked about. The, the Greek word that's used to talk about like uh, to make every effort, that, that word is, is in the, it's in the present tense. So it means like make every effort and keep doing it. Continue to have that kind of attitude, not just like try it once and see if it works, but like keep pursuing that. Keep seeking to live in light of those characters and attitudes and actions. Keep pursuing that. Keep seeing it. One commentator writes, it excludes passivity, quietism, and a wait-to-see attitude or a diligence tempered by all deliberate speed. Yours is the initiative. Do it now and mean it. It's an intentional pursuit of those kinds of things, living in response to King Jesus. Um, Hannah and I are super different people, like really, really, really different, right? If you look at like any personality test, we're always the exact opposite on all the tests for all the things, right? We just like look at the world totally differently. And that can create like an incredible amount of synergistic effect, right? When we work well together, but it can also create like a lot of tension. It's hard to work with someone who's always different than you. And so it's in our marriage that we need to continue to look to lay aside our rights and our privileges and our perspectives that we would seek the good of the other one. See, that's really hard to do because what it's doing is like highlighting our own selfishness. We want the world to treat us the way that we see it. We want everyone to view things the way that we view them. We want everyone to react to things the way that we react to them and, and to have the same opinions about everything that we have. That's what we want. But the Bible is like pretty clear, like that's not good for you. <laughs> it's not good for you when everyone is like you. What's good is that when everyone is like Jesus. And we grow each other up and we mature each other into the likeness of him. It's gentleness and, parent, uh, and patience as I learn to parent. It's not being concerned about my own authority being followed, but rather it's about being concerned about the good of my kids. That's really hard when a two-year-old looks you in the face and defies what you just told them to do. That's really hard to like, respond to that in like, a way that's about their good and not about like, your authority being offended. It's, like, it's hard to process that. It's hard to like, walk in light with that. Because like everything inside of you is like, oh, no, you didn't, right? Like, I will not be defied by a two-year-old. But that's like at the root of that is like an attitude that's coming from like, like my authority being the thing that is most important. And like Emma needs to listen and obey, right? But it's about the motives by which I help to teach her and empower her to do that. That changes, that's different because of Jesus. 
See, it's a power that's under control, that's long-suffering with an aggravating two-year-old sometimes. Not because I'm trying to be a good person, but because Jesus has been long-suffering and patient and humble and gentle with me. A little kid who needs teaching, who needs correcting, who needs training. Jesus has been all those things to me, so I would seek to be them to my family. You see, as a church, we're all different. That will create tension. Because like, when you're different than people, like, it creates tension. That's just what happens. As we continue to grow together, that will become more evident. And the solution for that is that we would actively and ongoingly remember King Jesus and all that he has done for us and on our behalf that would empower us to live different lives because of it. So leaders exist for the equipping of all of the body and the growing up in Christ for the sake of ministry. And they do that by pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to his character. And lastly here, we'll just quickly talk about this. They point us to him, to the, to the knowledge of him and to faith in him. In verses four through six, it reads this way. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that you were called, and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and Father who is over all things and through all things and in all things. There's one. Seven times the passage talks about that, right? But let's just break it down because I think it's much more simple than that. First, it says there's one body because there's one spirit. There's one body, and that body is the church, the body of Christ. It's comprised of Jews and Gentiles. It's comprised of all peoples who would put their hope and their faith in King Jesus. And it's a unity and a cohesion. It's a, it's a building together and a relating together that is empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God doing that within us. So there's one body of Christ because there's one spirit. Secondly, there's one hope belonging to our Christian calling. There's one faith and one baptism because there is just one Lord. There's just one king. His name is Jesus. For Jesus is the object of our faith. He is the hope of our baptism and of all Christian people because it's in Jesus we've believed. It's in Jesus that we have been baptized into, and it's, it's in Jesus' return that we have hope that we patiently wait for. And thirdly, there is one family, one Christian family, because there is one God and Father who is above all and through all and in all. God is a good Father, and we are His kids, redeemed and loved because of Him. One commentator sums it up this way. There is one Father who creates one, the one family. Secondly, there is one Lord Jesus who creates one faith, hope, and baptism. And thirdly, there is one Spirit who creates one body. Our unity comes not just from believing in a God in general, an ethereal force, a power that is. No, our unity comes from believing in this God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's that God that we serve and that God that we worship and that God that we grow into the likeness of. And the role of a leader then, right? I hope what you see here, especially every Sunday morning along those lines, is that my heart is to point out for us who God is and all that he's done. Help us see that rightly so that we would live in line with it. Let's wrap things up. Again, God gives leaders as a gift to the church for the purpose of equipping the whole body for ministry in order that everyone would grow up spiritually. I think John Stott says it this way as we think about applying this to our lives, right? 
The New Testament concept of a pastor is not a person who jealously guards all ministry in their own hands and successfully squashes everyone else's initiatives, but one who helps encourage all of God's people to discover and develop and exercise their gifts and roles within the church. That pastor's teaching and training are directed to this end, to enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively, but humbly, according to the gifts in the world of alienation and pain. Thus, instead of monopolizing all ministry himself, the pastor multiplies it. My job is not to be the one that does all of the ministry. Aaron's job is not to be the one that does all of the ministry. Our job is to multiply it in you. Our job is to equip and empower you that the body might grow, all of us together. Aaron and I do not have everything that's needed for us to grow up into looking like Jesus. Like That's like a safeguard, right? That's a safeguard in the body of Christ. The leaders never have all of the power. They never have all of the ability to like get us where we need to go. We need all of us to grow up into the likeness and image of Jesus. So if we're going to be a church that grows up into maturity in Christ, that looks like Jesus, that lives like him, Aaron and I cannot do it by ourselves, right? We might have the title of pastor, right? But that doesn't mean we're the ones that are in charge of doing it all. Our job is to equip all of you. So what might be your role as you seek to be a part of the kingdom of God and its advancing? In what ways has God... Um, purposed and called you into his service for the building up of the kingdom of God? How has God wired you and how has he designed you that you might be a part of that? It's super clear. Like there's no way this church is going to look like Jesus without you. Without all of us living in light of the roles God has given us that we would honor him and live in light of him. Another thing is we're going to need more leaders than just me and Aaron. <laughs> And so we seek to continue to develop more leaders and elders and those who would be overseers and equippers of the body of Christ. God might be calling some of you to serve in those kinds of roles in the coming years and future. Ask him, talk to him. God, how might you be using me to multiply your kingdom and to build up the body? All of us have a part in that. In all of our roles, as we think to do that, the whole point is that we would point one another to Jesus, to who he is, and to all that he's done on our behalf. That's how we grow up. We look at Jesus, and we live in light of him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and for all that you've done for us. God, I'm thankful that uh, even though you've called Aaron and I to serve as pastors of this church, like we're not the only people that you've called to be ministers here. <laughs> You call all of us to serve as ministers within your body that we might all grow up into maturity in you. And so God, we just ask that you continue to be giving us insight and understanding about how you might be calling us to serve within that community, how you'd be calling us to be a part of the multiplication and, and, and the expansion of your kingdom in and through uh, River City Church here. And so God, we want to honor you and love you and we want to live lives that are uh, imitating King Jesus. And we want the influence of your kingdom to increase and expand for your name and for your glory and for our good. Amen.